a nice, uh, you have a nice phone voice. Hello, very mature. <laughs> this is, uh, <laughs> this is Judith. Thank you. I'm speaking with Carolyn Markle. You're on, you're Markle to me, but I think your last name is something else now. It is. Uh, it's Carolyn Markle Hammond, but you're always, uh, you come up as Rosetta Kane. I say that. And I love her. That's how it comes up. And I love her. Oh, awesome. That's funny. <laughs> well, I have to let people know who listen to my podcast how old I am. So, sensitive uh, about it, I won't, won't say that we went to high school together. Oops. <laughs> oh, we went to high school together. <laughs> so, since the last time you were a guest on the show, you you really built up a business and a, and a brand um, as a, what, would we call it a domestic abuse advocate or um, Great what, question. Do, what do you call yourself? You know what? Domestic abuse advocate would be a good fit. What produced and what came out of a whole lot of ugly was actually a project called Safe in Harm's Way. And I'm now going to start referring to it as a movement because you've told me in previous conversations this is the movement you created and rather than say platform or assistance for survivors I want a broader global reach and I think creating a movement and calling it as such is a great way to refer to it okay well, thank you Judy it's okay. another thing you've done for me I, <laughs> I do what I can um so we were actually having a conversation before that, which I thought was interesting. The note I wrote down is, how do you make peace with your past? Um, as things, because I think as you evolve and grow, uh, emotions that you might not have recognized before, you can now recognize them because now you have the machinery for it. Um, and so you were making a statement that Basically, as you've gone down this path, you thought things were tucked in and everybody was square, and then you realize like there's this is just such an emotional thing. And I don't know if you want to how deep you want to give background on how you came to create the movement, um, or if you just want to kind of compartmentalize this particular uh, thought because I think it can apply to a lot of things. But if you want to kind of jump into that because I think it's pretty interesting. Sure. I, I appreciate it. And I think it's good to give context. I think it's good to give framework for the how and the why. So with what I discuss, it's going to be about surviving domestic violence. But really, the platform at Safe and Harm's Way or the movement at Safe and Harm's Way or... Yeah, or... Whatever it is that you're trying to trudge through in life, there's a lot of crossover and there's a lot of components that can help people to thrive through anything. And so while I'll give the context as it relates to domestic violence, I think it can be applied to whatever life situation you're going through. And okay. And to give the context as it relates to, to surviving domestic violence, I would not have even appropriately labeled myself as someone who was being abused. And that's common. 
that is really common for survivors. And inherent in that is what we're talking about today. Because inherent in not being able to identify my my existence as living in that was because I didn't have the mechanics or the vocabulary or the ability to have read other people's stories in the same situation and gone, oh, that's, that's happening to me right now. And that ability to identify did not come until after I escaped my abuser. So, you know, I spent almost a decade living with a man who the majority of his abuse was covert in the amount of financial abuse, right? Hiding accounts from me, um, begging and pleading for me not to take a fabulous job opportunity I had been offered. And because he just wanted me to have, to be close to him and create our beautiful life. When that is A, a form of financial abuse, and B, isn't it funny I would have been making as much as he was, and that was not a reality he was living, willing to live with. So that's kind of covert abuse, as is, you know, the lying, um, the covert drug abuse that was rampant in our life, and I couldn't figure out the mood swings, and boy, do I know now where they came from. There was, of course, multiple affairs, multiple multiple affairs in my own home when I wasn't there, when he traveled, when I traveled. And the component of multiple affairs that I think people don't talk about is you've now been exposed to someone else's sexual history that you would have maybe never intended to have slept with. But that's been brought home to you without your knowledge, mm. without your consent, and having to navigate the physical outcomes of multiple affairs when you've lived through it is hard. And that's a form of abuse as well. That's abuse to my body that was being done on the regular, and I had no idea about it. The Now, I have a question. Sure. Do you find, um, especially, uh, to me it feels like most of the domestic violence we speak of on a regular did you hear that horrible sound? I did. I didn't know if there was an emergency alert coming through or... I don't know. You're so conscientious. I was like, what is that? Could disconnect. <laughs> so, well, no, yeah, it disconnected just... me. It disconnected me automatically. Oh, I hit in. I hit oh. in. Oh. That was horrific. Um, it's almost like a man didn't want me to ask this question. So <laughs> <laughs> the question I'm going to ask is since we... I think in America, we primarily believe domestic violence is something that men do to women. Um, and But do you find any sort of uh, resistance when you're opening up this this uh, conversation to the, to the world and starting from the ground, like you're building this from the ground up? Do you find that some people would... would not agree with your assessment that that what you just described was abuse or it's not as bad as getting punched or you know beaten or strangled or do you find like people are like is that really abuse I'm, you know I'm just asking I'm not I'm not super well versed on this topic but I would imagine that since it's not that extreme it might be harder to move people's needle I mean it sounds bad to me but no, I, it's a great question, and it's a relevant question. I had that happen this week. 
Mm. Um, I had that happen this week, and someone pointed out that that the abuse I went through, and there was there was also verbal abuse, and there was also emotional abuse, and those leave scars that don't show up that haunt you for the rest of your life. And there's a lot of literature that points to all of this being um, being abuse. I don't mind the question and I don't mind the challenge because to me, that's an opportunity to educate. Abuse is abuse is abuse. And while there are varying degrees within that spectrum of abuse, all of it is harmful and all of it is traumatic and all of it is detrimental, not only to the person who who is experiencing the abuse, but to that person's children and the ones they love as well. I don't mind the question because, again, it's an opportunity for education. And it would be, the only analogy I can think of it is if you have two moms and one mother has lost her child because the child was brutally murdered, instantaneous, she didn't witness it, it just happened. And you have another mother who has watched over the course of years their child wither away, destroy relationships, in and out of rehab, and die from an opioid overdose. You don't have the the luxury to say to, to one woman, well, you know, your son was just murdered instantly. You didn't have to watch it happen over the course of the long haul. Your your loss and trauma from your child's death, that's less important than the mother who lost her son and witnessed it every day over the long haul of an opioid addiction. So there are both horrific instances. And to, to suggest to another person that their abuse or their situation is less than is trauma again, because most folks are dealing with battles and issues that no one knows about because of the emotional abuse, because of the financial abuse, um, because of the, the constant and consistent lying in affairs. Um, so that's, so to me, it's, it's just, I don't mind it. It just but, feels to me like a lot of men would resist uh, and maybe some women too, because I'm often shocked at the things some women uh, aren't appalled by. Um, but like, I would imagine if you were talking to a room full of men, a lot of them might check out emotionally because like, oh well, you you know, it's not like you got your head smashed in or you know you didn't almost die. So maybe it's. I would imagine that that's going to be a challenge for you because we live in such a desensitized society. Um, But I think uh, that was the point of creating the title, uh, just for a little background, Safe and Harm's Way is a title that I came up with to try to help you with your movement. But the whole point was a lot of us feel safe, but it's a very, it's a like a razor's edge between safety and actually really being in harm's way, especially like, you know, if you're in the, in the hands of the wrong person. And, um, 
I just feel like a lot of people will initially, you know, resist that. But I think most great movements are are uh, formed and you know galvanized by the resistance to them. I agree. I agree. And it's it's forged in steel, right? You have to keep plowing ahead, and you have to keep talking about it. There are there are moments of abuse that I think personally, I know personally, and in talking to other people, that I can give a broad overview of what happened, but some of the intimacies and the intricacies of what was done to me, and I see this play out in most people I talk with, those can't be verbalized, and those are the most desperate, dangerous, disgusting points of abuse that would catapult more people into a reaction of, let's get behind you, but sometimes those things can't be verbalized. And because they're too close to the bone. And I, without, without exception, when I start to be vulnerable and open up to people, I get in return their own stories or the stories of their family members. And most of the time I get, and someday I'll tell you the rest yeah. because there's more. And so there's always more. So while I can give you a broad overview of what went, was done and what, what happened? There's a lot that's just too close to the bone that makes to sense. ever verbalize, and that so that's part of it as, as well as to say, for people who are frontline responders, I don't say first responders because there are, of course, police and and fire folks who you know respond to domestic violence situations, and in fact, those are some of the most dangerous calls for first responders. But um, you know, first frontline folks, that means the people who deal in substance abuse, who deal in job opportunities, who deal in trying to find shelter. Those are the first frontline people that a survivor will come in contact with. Everyone needs to be brought into the equation that what you might have in front of you is also layered to the 20th level of what came before. And that has to be factored into the equation that this is not a one-off. This is actually most likely years and years and years of a systematic dismantling of another human being, purposefully have not. You, have you found that you've helped someone discover that either A, they were an abuser, or B, they are being abused? The latter more than the former. Um, okay. I have, I, I work with a, a gentleman who wrote a book called Toxic Masculinity, Dr. Thomas Holler, and and he talks about in his group therapy with abusers, showing them all the forms of abuse and actually giving the definitions for them and the way that men respond when, in his instance, it's men. And, of course, women can be abusers as well. But in his instance, it's men. They're shocked that, oh, I, I do do these things. Oh, I do these things all the time. So I haven't had that experience. I haven't had that experience yet because I haven't. Um, spoken in front of a group of men yet, but I, when I have spoken with first responders and their questions are genuine and their questions are really from a focal focus of, I want to help and understand. And so, and, and most of them have been men. So it's, it's great for them to be able to have these little epiphanies. And when you factor in that some statistics say, you know, there's, there's a good chunk of, of, first responders who are abusers um, 
you know, if you can reach them in any way, then I think that's a positive step forward. Now, I think that's pretty cool because as I've gotten older and worked across many, many fields, um, I actually come into contact with more domestic violence issues than I ever have in a work scenario. And um, I, I think, again, it's just one of those things where you hear blurbs on the news as a regular citizen, you know, if it's not happening to you, then it's kind of isn't a really a priority until it, until it is. And whether it happens to you or it comes to you through your work or through a friend or you know somebody or whatever, once you really start to understand the psychology of victimization just in general, um, it can open up a, I mean, for me, I feel like my eyes have just been opened up on a whole deeper level to a lot of things um, as I have been more exposed to the criminal justice system. But, you know, I, I do admire, I do think things are a calling, and I do admire, and I think I was one of the people who, who were like, you, you're going through this for a reason. You got you to gotta do something. <laughs> you got to share this. Um, exactly. And, because of, and then, like, not much later than that it's like oh I'm in a whole new line of work and it's like wow like I just feel like if you're not helping people what's the point you know I feel like we're here to serve I agree I agree and in doing so you have you do open yourself up to that your question was great to some to criticism some people are kind in their questioning some people are not and it's the one that that aren't that I make a definite choice you know, I can educate you, and and I don't like, have the bandwidth. What are they saying? Just when it's it's questioned in a meanness, and and you take the time to explain, and it still comes at you with um, with venom, then I don't have the time or energy, nor the ability to stoop to your level of intelligence in order to facilitated a productive conversation. So I'm going to spend my time and my energy with with people who are willing to question and willing to have a conversation about it where we both might end up still but possibly disagreeing, but it's been done in a way that broadened the other person's ideas and perspective and possibly inspired them to assist others in new and different ways. And that's, I'll play all day in that area because even when questioned, there's still an opportunity for discussion. And once I get those folks on board, then I have a, a rising tidal wave of energy that will allow me to then take on the other folks who are mean and disrespectful. And Wow, and you've had people be mean to you. Yeah, yeah, I've, have, I've definitely had that definitely had people yeah you know but that's I think that's part of it and that's 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 why that to me is a reminder of why people don't step forward and say this happened to me because at the physical part and the bruises that show and the bloody nose and the falling that that women and men can take when they're being abused is evidence it's evidence it's black and white it's in front of you black and white and red, let's say, and it's in front of you, there's so much more that people aren't willing to step forward because they've witnessed 
a few things. You brought it up. Being desensitized to violence. And so if you have someone who's really suffering because for their entire marriage they've been told how stupid they are, they've been they've been isolated from their friends, they've had money kept from them, they've been told they cannot do certain things, and they've spent a life like that, and they would dare speak out loud, this is my abuse. And they see what happens when people who have the physical manifestation of abuse still not be, dele- be de- believed. Do you think anyone's going to stand up and say, this happened to me? And when you have an easier ability to take news and newsworthy stories and use language that dumbs down the reality of what happened, so it makes that particular incident easier for everybody to tolerate. You're talking about, um, what's his face? I always want to say Epstein, but is it Epstein? How do you say his name? Oh, the guy, I call him Epstein, the guy that just hung himself or whatever, allegedly. Allegedly. Right? No. But people talk about how, you know, he trafficked, he trafficked, and he was accused of sex trafficking. And I've written so many editorials to papers saying, let's be specific, he raped children. I agree. He raped children. But it's easier yeah, it's easier for the rest of the country or the rest of any reader to say, oh, okay, well, underage girls is who are the people he had sex with. No, they were 13 and 14 year old children is who right. he raped against their will. And if you really want to talk about what that feels like to be raped when you're 13 and 14 years old, it's a disgusting Right. Horrible, bloody mess. This is so a let's full-grown man. Yes. Disgusting. I agree but that, with you. You know, so then you have folks that are willing. Yeah, it's easier to swallow because no one wanna talks about wants to talk about the disgusting, harsh reality of what that is. And so you say, well, he had sex with underage women. So you yeah, have underage women. That yeah, know, underage women. Uh, right. So you have those things going on that you're. There's always going to be a battle against, and I don't mind it. And I, and I, one of the things I struggle, I don't mind the conversation. I mind the battle. I mean, that disgusts me, but I don't mind the conversation. I do worry. I do worry because I've gotten much feedback from men who say, you know, when you don't include men into the audience of people who've been abused, it is, it is re-traumatizing for all us men raising our hand over here saying, We've been abused. So I want to be cognizant of that, and I want to make sure I'm working into the, to the conversation that abuse happens to both men and women. And, and while I went to college with a guy whose girlfriend used to beat the crap out of him. It was, it was very awkward, and we didn't talk about it. But again, I, I also am with you. I tend to think of domestic violence of men perpetrating it against women because that's mostly what we hear about but I agree it does happen I I witnessed it It was such a strange dynamic that they had right Um, but she would like carve up like hunks of his skin under her fingernails like she would beat him it was just incredible but also to your point you know, men are sensitive in the sense that they don't want to be alienated from the conversation while you, at the same time, it seems like you're accusing them. I understand right. that. But right. your description of something a few minutes ago uh, where you were describing, you know, the money, 
the emotional abuse. I'm, I'm quiet. I've spent all these years. To me, all I kept thinking in what I scribbled on a piece of paper was marriage. You know, it sounded like a description of, you know, a marriage from like the 30s or the 40s where, you know, women were in these long-suffering situations and men were supposed to. I, I think it's been within our lifetime that marriage became romantic, which I could be wrong, but I, when I hear stories about grand, in our age group, for people, our grandparents, um, it was like, yeah, they got married. It was just, you know, they were sometimes super young and marrying older men just so they wouldn't be that mouth to feed in their household and stuff like that. Yeah. So when you were describing those long-suffering situations, I was like, that used to just be called marriage. <laughs> and maybe you that's have a valid problem. Point. Right. You have a you have a valid point. Yeah, for sure. I know I'm not the, uh, I'm always on the, like, let's ask these super deep questions about marriage. Uh, that's me. Um, <laughs> like, uh, you know, I, I use that app that I told you about, that pattern app. Yes. And uh, one of the things it said about me was pretty much like conventional relationships or marriage. I'm just not going to be a go along to get along person. I'm always going to be like, um, I have questions. <laughs> and basically, I want to break the machine responsibly. Um, oh, I like I'm that saying. phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, uh, oh, by the way, thank you for the time suck that is the pattern because it knows me. It's frightening. <laughs> Isn't it creepy? It's frightening. Listen, you guys, if you have iOS, if you are smart and you use an Apple product, you should find this app because I've tried to send Android users to it and I don't think they do Android yet. I don't think they do Android yet. I think that's oh been the God. last thing it's I read. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. It's, it's amazing it's so to which the degree. Yes. Yes. Like, how does thing know me? Yeah. Based on the time of birth and my birthday. It's weird. Also, even so, I had my nephew sign up because his birthday was coming up and he likes that kind of stuff. Like, you know, for fun. So when he signed up, he made me his friend. And the, the little blurb that came up was like, you and Jeremy are close. Uh, <laughs> you almost feel like family. And I was like, how the F this thing? No, he's my nephew. What is happening? It, was, you know, it really messed with my mind. <laughs> so, you know, Judy, I, I kind of believe we're all tagged anyway, right? We're tagged because we go to the QT, we get a fountain soda. And inherently in that fountain soda is like a mini tracking system that then we are fed whatever we have in our lives that confirms who we Luckily, are. Luckily, I don't go to QT and oh, I've been tagged soda. many times apparently. So that's hysterical. Yeah. But it, I mean, I feel like there's a part of us that lives in the matrix when the you know things come together. So this is a terrible example of why I think we're in the matrix. But I was watching this documentary on Anthony Weiner. Remember him? Yes. He's going to be this great politician, and he couldn't stop sending dick pics, and his last name is Wiener. I mean, <laughs> if that's not the Matrix, I don't know what is. <laughs> it's like, if you just draw that energy into your life, your whole life, and now you're obsessed with your own Wiener? Like, uh, <laughs> weird. <laughs> sure it is. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not saying that that's the best analogy, but it's the only one I can think of right now. Um, it's so, a manifestation of something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like we we just see some weird stuff. I'm like, 
all the time. And so this app is just another one of those head scratchers where I'm like, I, I do believe that there's a cataloging system that works for the human experience. Uh, sometimes it's astrology. Sometimes it's, it's just, I don't believe the coincidence. So if we're reading it, then that must be the way the universe wants us to get the message. But, you know, I, I can be ethereal and out there like anybody else. But, man, that app is creepy. It's it is creepy. Super spot on. It is. And it is. You know how I heard about it? Shaving Tatum was on, like, Instagram, like, what the F with this pattern? Like, he was freaking out. <laughs> like, he was having a full-blown meltdown. And then everybody, of course, everybody knows who he is, so everybody then went to try to download it, and it crashed. And it so broke. I couldn't even... It broke the pattern. It. Yeah, I couldn't get on the pattern for, like, three days, and then that just made me want to see it even more. And then, of course, to have my own mind blown, I was like, I feel you, Channing Tatum. What the hell? It was crazy. It was so, well, uh, the morning you sent it to me. It was the morning I, I, you know, get up to work out about 5 o'clock in the morning, and you're always up early, and somehow, really early in the morning you sent it to me, and I was like, oh, three hours have passed, and I'm still in bed, and now I'm hunting for my passport. Now I'm hunting to confirm my birth time on my birth certificate, just because this really can't be me. I know. Because every time I read one of those blurbs because um, you know it's like you you can read it the first time and it's just so much information it may not stick out to you so the third and fourth time I've glanced at my profile I'm like oh wait this thing yeah. and so I just start talking to it like what are you talking about Tavern how do you know this you know I'm just screaming to my phone <laughs> I'm pretty sure Siri is like ah, that's hysterical yeah, but she's like, I got you. I said all your information to them. Well, before I let you go from this phone call, I do want people to know how to support your movement, where to find everything, um, how they can can help and and spread the word or maybe even share a story. Um, I'm assuming you're on all social media networks. Yes, so you can follow and like Safe in Harm's Way on Instagram on Facebook, on Twitter. You can follow along on Spotify. We believe really strongly with Safe and Harm's Way that people can retrain their trauma brain and there's lots of, of science and information of all the smart people in the room saying, yes, it is true with music and art and books. So you'll find us with playlists on Spotify oh. and with our own YouTube channel. So um, you know, those you're the building ones. all this. Like you're, you're growing your uh, fan base. I guess would you call it? We are. Yeah, gosh, you know, I'll have to think of of how. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We are. For your... Yeah, we do have to find a cool name for it. Yeah, we're growing and we're getting more requests. We do this thing called the morning prayer dance, which seems really to some people love it, but other people are like, "What is that?" But <laughs> it's a way. It's a way to um, to. First thing in the morning, reset your brain. And when you've been so far into abuse, there is no way to climb out. You don't even know how to begin because you don't even know yourself, right? And so so when you talk to survivors, there's points slow, low, so low when they start to realize 
what has happened and what they've endured in order at that point to either continue to be a victim or to start to figure out a way to thrive, you have to find new ways to train your brain. And we do that with music. And so we get a ton of morning prayer dance requests where people send me a song that they want a morning prayer dance done to. And we've even gotten a few morning prayer dances from some folks that follow us. So people are, are getting into that. And it really does. I had my first fan experience. I was in Miami. And um, and this gal came running up to me and she's like, oh my gosh, the morning prayer dance girl, the morning prayer dance girl. And, uh, you know, she was awesome and, and great. We took pictures and, you know, it's moments like that when I think, okay, I'm in Miami and this right. is happening. So we're having, we're having some success in broadening the reach and the frequency in which we're gaining folks who want to talk about our message. And we are really making positive momentum with survivors. So we have people who reach out to us and say, I'd love to tell my story. Some want to do that anonymously. Some want to do that um, via art or via poetry. Or, you know, some want to stand up and say, here's my name and here's what happened to me. Because the consistent message is, I have always felt like I'm the only person out there who's experienced this. And when you think about how much domestic violence is in the news and how much we're now seeing abusers take out collateral damage, you'd think everybody would surely know they're not alone. But everyone mm-hmm. thinks everyone thinks they're the only person in the world this is happening to. So Well, because there's so much shame. Yes, you know, there's so much shame. I, what I admire is that you are expanding the definition of abuse in acceptable ways where people, it's not normalized. Because it is, I I do think it's um, abuse when someone holds you hostage with uh, their word and money. Right. You know, because a lot of women would leave if they were able to, you know, secure that money and and knew that their kids would be safe if they had them or knew that they could go somewhere and, and wouldn't be, you know, uh, tracked down. And if you don't have the money, how are you going to do that? You're never going to be. so a lot of times yeah. people just say, well, I'm going to wait and save the money up. And, I mean, it's just, it's an impossible situation. So I, I appreciate the expansion of the definition and uh, of what a survivor looks like, what abuse is and also, um, you know, just let's not normalize this stuff. That I mean, that's the beauty of getting older. I was watching something from the seventies or eighties today, and I was like, oh my god, this is. We would never make this movie now. We would never use this kind of languaging now. So that's the beauty of evolving. I, even though I think sometimes things are too PC and too people are too sensitive. Um, I do think something do need to be like let's go back and revisit what this looks like and uh, I agree I agree and it's one of those things it is and it's it's far it's far reaching because sometimes the abuse toward the end right before I escaped from my abuser it was turning physical Mm. and so it didn't it didn't start out that way that's that's not what I lead with because that's not what I experienced most and and most survivors you talk to would say the same things. It started out golden, and then it started to get bad, and you kept trying to get back to the golden, and then he started to hit you. 
So, you know, it's not this, the evolution, as I was saying, of the layers and the 20 layers deep, that starts back years prior until you get to the point where someone's face has been shoved to the wall or they've been pushed against the table or they've been, you know, pummeled and held hostage. It's just going to escalate. It's just going to escalate. So that's why if we can have the conversation earlier about what abuse looks like in all its various ugly tentacles and we can keep having those conversations so that more and more people can raise their hand and say, oh, oh, wow, that's (laughs) that's me. Then you can have the ability to offer resources before it's dire. And and we need the resources for when it's dire. But if we can catch people earlier, then that's that's a great and beautiful thing to do as well so that the abuse doesn't keep escalating to the point where you're talking about their name in the paper because they've been killed. And yeah, that's... That's that's, I mean, but that's the evolution. That is the evolution. I mean, yeah. I mean, we could probably talk about this for hours and debate the semantics of it. I'm not one of those people. I actually have heard survivors on the phone uh, discussing their options. I've actually been in um, a shelter that we can't reveal the location because these women have brought themselves and their children there, you know, to hide, mm-hmm. essentially. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I it, it's kind of mind-numbing to think that people have to do that. Um, but, I mean, that's where we are. And so it's like the fact that you have to kind of convince or persuade people to care about it, you know, it just kind of drives me crazy, the stuff that we care about. It's not a problem in America until it's a problem for you. Right. And, um, right. You know, yeah. she was. But anyway, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, probably what I'll do now that I'm listening is I think this is a good way to um, cross promote. So I think we both can post this podcast and direct traffic to each other's podcast. And, um, you know, let's just try to get this message out there. I applaud you. I've, I've watched this thing grow from the beginning. It's really impressive what you're doing. And, um, you know, I would have to imagine that uh, the sister of Susan G. Komen never thought that the NFL would have a month of uh, breast cancer <laughs> awareness um, where, I don't know if you're aware of that, but in October, all the, the NFL wears pink mm-hmm. in, in memory of people affected by breast cancer or to raise awareness uh so much so that they don't even do it for men so there's no limit about what you can do especially when you convince men to get on board and just anybody really but i feel like men are always they're not convinced until it's it's not a thing until it's a thing for them so once you start getting more men to realize hey maybe i could be less of a jerk hey maybe i am an abuser or, hey, maybe my sister's being abused and I never thought of it this way. Um, or my daughter or whatever. Right. As long as we can just bring some some enlightenment to this conversation, I think it's a win. And uh, congratulations, because I think you're going to do great things. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, uh, I'll leave us with, with two things. One is anyone can, one of the ways you can follow is the actual mobile web app, our progressive web app that is, 
built at Safe and Harm's Way, and you can do that by texting SAFE, S-A-F-E, to 55741, and that gives you the entire platform of services that that are available. You can actually follow survivor stories, and you can follow, to your point about it's not affecting me until it affects me, we have employer resources, where if employers want to do great things for the people they oh, employ, cool. They have case studies to learn from, and we'll actually do training to that end. So that's part of it. The second thing is, you know, is to honor our relationship and to say that, you know, at the at the very key points of my escape and then my hiding and then my hiding again and facing down the systematic um, stalking of me, it was your friendship and and your insight that helped usher me through some of the darkest, most drastic times. So forever, ever, ever in my world, I will be grateful to you, Miss Judy Culp, RK. I I love her. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I I knew we were talking or whatever, but that's amazing. I did not expect that. I did not pay her to say that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just, you know, we're friends. We go back a ways. And, you know, I, I have a thing... Um, against bullies and bullshit and you know I just have always kind of had this righteousness streak in me um, and when something just sounds like it's dead ass wrong I want to be on the opposite side of it so yeah you're more than welcome for that and again I'm uber impressed with what you've been able to build and the platform that, that you've put uh, in place based off of something horrific that happened to you uh, it, 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 to turn it around and help other people uh, to me I feel like that's what we're here for and I salute you and I look forward to uh, helping but I also look forward to watching you kind of uh, paint this canvas and, and turn this into your thing and see what happens and see how many people you can help So I appreciate your support you. I appreciate your support and I appreciate every hand you had in it, including our theme song, our, our Safe and Harmony <laughs> theme song by, by the Culprit Manifest. So um, the music that you produce with the groups that, that you work on the music production side certainly has helped kind of uh, yeah, yeah, that is framework awesome. us. Yeah. And they're a sensitive bunch. So what's really cool is, you know, what I hope to see one day is just a bunch of confessional video, like confessional people talking over that song. I think that would be really, really cool because... Uh, I think the, what they conceptualized was, what would it be like to be out on a date and have it turn, you know, like date rape? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's one scenario, but we're we're talking across a bunch of scenarios. But that's the whole point of the song is to sound menacing and um, kind of it's got like a little choir feel. Like it, the song is supposed to kind of kind of encapsulate what it feels like to be safe, but also then know like in an instant you're not safe. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm just, I'm really proud of what you're doing. And anything we can do to help, we're always going to say yes. Well, thank you for everything because uh, it is a beautiful song, but it is menacing. And it, it speaks to what exactly what you just said, but also speaks to how a survivor never quite feels safe. You're always feeling in harm's way. And that song in some is, in spots is so beautiful. And life is beautiful and amazing. And there's a little bit of menace to it, too. So it fires. It ended up 
conveying multiple truths across the Safe and Harm's Way movement and in a perfect way. So I'm always going to be thankful to uh, to you and the Culprit Manifest. Thank you. Well, we got your back. And, uh-oh, I just dropped my son. <laughs> so that'll be fun. <laughs> that'll make the edit. <laughs> so we're going to wrap it up. And uh, we'll talk soon. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, yeah, let's just keep like changing it. the world. Sounds like a plan, my friend. Sounds like a plan. All right. Talk soon. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.